We as a church, for the past few Sundays, have been studying the book of Micah with a theme of walking humbly with hope. And today, we will continue to do that. But just to catch you up where we have been, let me give you a little brief summary of where we have been. Uh, This book is written to the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And all of them were just doing terrible things before the eyes of the Lord. So first week, we dove into chapter 1, and we talked about how they were all after their idolatrous desire that was well depicted in the names of the town. Uh, There are some towns that names beauty. You think beauty will save you? You will die by every wrinkle on your face. You will be naked and ashamed as the Syrian kingdom will plunder through your town. There are some towns named that conqueror, power, influence. You think you are powerful enough that will save you? No, there will be always a stronger one who will plow through your field. What is that for you? Whether it be money, power, beauty, none of that is enough to save us. So in the end, the prophet Michael calls us to repent, humble yourselves. And that brought us to this past week. Pastor Bill brought us message from chapter 2. In this chapter, Prophet Micah further deals with the sins of Israel, especially the economic oppression of the wicked against the weak ones. Through their greediness, they took advantage of one another. So Micah calls us, hey, how? there are many other sins that we know in deep down. Oh, yeah, that's sinful. But greediness, we just don't know, right? How much is really enough? We always want more. What is there for you? Uh, Pastor Bill through Micah to challenge us to really repent and think about that. That brings us to chapter 3. Now, in this chapter that we are about to dive in, there is a glimpse of good news, but that more is to come following Sunday. This time, Prophet Micah will specifically deal with injustices that were done by political leaders as well as religious leaders of Israel. So Prophet Micah will deal with justice and injustice in this chapter quite a bit. Now, when was the last time or when have you really dealt with the issue of justice and injustice? For me, one that I remember vividly came relatively soon. I was only third grader. the school, elementary school I went in Korea, was kind of known for their swim team. In fact, it was only seven of us. At down the road, it only became three of us. But one of those, my swim mate, will end up holding national record for Korea, become an Olympic team and all that. Believe it or not, I wasn't that good. <laughs> no, I wasn't, not at all. But that year, our swim team, all of us were qualified for national. So they brought all the national qualifier in my province. We gathered to train for a swim team. And I was only third grade, but that swim camp, it was like five hours from home. We went there for like three months to train day and night for this national competition. But there are many things in my life, Charlton. I know I've done wrong, so there's punishment. But this wasn't one of that. But it was such an abusive environment. There were so many times that I was literally physically beaten up. And down the road, I was traumatized by that. Um, I had to deal with it for a long time in my life. And so I'm like, I'm helpless. I'm just third grader, and people are taking advantage of me. For no reason, so I'm talking to coach. Coach, this is not right. Why are they doing this? And I'm like, 
That's just the way it is, Jin. That's just culture. Uh, it's a very hostile athletic culture. I can't even count how many times I got beaten up. It was, it was bad. It was terrible. And I kept thinking, is the world ought to be like this? In the end, I ended up telling my parents, and they ended up pulling me out of the camp. Um, the first time experienced injustices, I felt so weak and so helpless. There are no one who's there to advocate for me. And I God, is there any day when wrong is made right? The weak are protected and cared for. Perhaps some of you dealt with justice and injustice to the minor degree, to relatively very severe degree. And I pray that as we dive in Micah chapter 3, the Lord will give you hope for true justice, that there is true justice that is to come. Hold on in your sorrow and pain. Having said all that, three things we will learn through this text today. First, we will talk about the problem of justice that Micah is raising in this chapter. We all understand the justice very differently. I'll bring all of us to the same page what this is. So we will first talk about the problem of justice. And second, we will talk about the biblical justice. What does the Bible say about justice? And lastly, third, we will talk about the hope for justice. Now, so first, the problem of justice. In a book of Micah, you have noticed already, there are kind of four main pronounced themes in this book. There are sin and judgment. We've talked a lot about the last couple of weeks. There are sin, therefore God's impending judgment is to come. We will still talk about it today as well. Having said, there is also pronounced theme of justice and hope. We'll continue to slowly go into that. The concept of justice alongside of sin and judgment and hope is all throughout the book of Micah, especially in this chapter. But unfortunately, throughout the book, you will see that there really is no one who does what is right. There's injustice all over the place, and in Micah chapter 3, it's no different. So first, look verse 1 and 2, and as well as 9 and 10. Here, Micah is speaking to the political leaders of Israel at the time. Micah saying, Then I said, Listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, should you not embrace justice? You who hate good and love evil. Jump down to verse 9 once again. Hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort all that is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Here, Micah clearly raised the issue of justice, that those leaders who should embrace justice, in fact, they abhor it. Justice is loving good and hating evil. But these people, verse 2, you hate good and love evil. They don't even know what true justice is all about. And what they know of it, they despise it. Verse 9, you rulers of Israel who despise justice and distort all that is right. So they obviously hated what is good and loved what is evil. They detest and despise the justice. Having said all that, what really is justice then? This, obviously, this book of Micah was written 740 B.C. to 690 B.C., 3,000 years ago. And the concept of justice and injustice has been throughout the centuries, even now. But especially the last 10 years or so, the concept, the word justice has been such a word that are all over, in and out of the church and the culture. So let me just bring all of us, let me just acknowledge what this is all about. Now, 
let me just borrow. None of what I'm about to say, none of those are mine. I'm borrowing these concepts and thoughts from such as Greek philosopher Aristotle and Socrates, as well as Scottish and English philosopher like Locke, Hume, Immanuel Kant, as well as German philosopher Marx. And I'll also lay out some of the modern philosopher, Michael Sandals, as well as Christian thinkers like Andy Crouch and Tim Keller. So people, we understand justice is we often are forced to either binary system. If I push one side all the way down here, it's more like libertarian view. It's all about equality of opportunity. It's all about your individual freedom. You are who you are for the choices you make. That's what true justice is all about. For better or for worse, it's all up to individual for what you get to determine. More like libertarian, equal opportunity, equal opportunity view like Locke, Hume, and Immanuel Kant argued. On the other side, if I push this side all the way down, they will say more like, no, it's not about equality of opportunity. It's about equality of outcome. It's all about what benefits the majority number of people. It's more like utilitarianism, more pragmatic belief uh, than Marx argued in a sense. And those binary systems, often we are forced to put ourselves in the category. On the other side, I've also seen kind of third way, more like what they call it virtue ethic, uh, more arguing from point of view of Aristotle and Socrates. Socrates, I'll come back to that quite a bit at the end of the sermon, but they basically said, hey, it's not necessarily about equality of opportunity or outcome, but it is so much about giving people what they deserve. Wicked shall be punished, righteous shall be rewarded. And more like modern thinker, Michael Sandel will fall into this category. So they would argue that society job, justice is all about instilling this virtue in people's mind. And so the true justice can be reckoned in that sense. Having said all that, I'm sure each of you fall into a certain category on this spectrum. I am um, neither politician nor lawyer. I am neither sociologist nor psychologist. But as a person who studies the Bible, what is fascinating to me, the Bible is not playing the game to fall into one category only. It affirms all of them, it confronts all of them. It's far more complex and nuanced. At the same time, true biblical justice is far more articulated. Let me show you what I mean by that. Does Bible talk about equal treatment? Absolutely, absolutely, all over. Deuteronomy 10:17. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. All are equal before God. Leviticus 19.15, do not pervert justice. Do not show partiality to the poor or favoritism to the great, but judge your neighbor fairly. And because all, we all are made in the image of God, Proverbs 21, 22, 2 says, the rich and poor have this in common. The Lord made them both. The Bible absolutely advocates full throttle for equal treatment for all people, regardless for their status, regardless for their background. And when we talk about justice, often word justice marriage with such word as righteousness as well as mercy. And the word righteousness in Bible is the Hebrew word tzedakah. 
is that it means the right relationship between people, treating one another with a dignity and respect equally because we are created in the image of God. The Bible absolutely endorses and affirms the equal treatment. Is that all there is? No, it's not. When we talk about the virtue ethic, I often tell, maybe there are some of us who are gathered here who haven't quite trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You are still considering it. I often say, take all the time you need. I hope that beauty of the cross will compel you. But I even often tell them, even if you deny him, read the book of Proverbs. It will benefit you. There are so many ethics there that will help you to, to be, guide your life. The book of Proverbs is so much about the virtue, right? Righteous shall be rewarded and wicked shall be punished. And justice in the Bible, here in Micah 3.1, as well as Micah 6.8, perhaps most famously known verse, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. That word of 3.1 as well as 6.8, is this Hebrew word for justice is the mishpat. It's the word used over 200 times in the, in the scripture. And that means giving people, there is retributive justice against the wicked for what they've done. They shall be punished. I don't know why, but I happened to be just watching yesterday. Actually, I took time to watch 9-11 documentaries. Um, and all the wicked and injustice in this world. I pray that one day the Lord will make all things right. So there is retributive justice against the wicked. That's what the, this virtue ethic and the mishpat word stands for. Having said that, the word mishpat or justice is not only retributive justice against the wicked, but it's also restorative justice for those who have been poor, marginalized, and oppressed. That's used all over the scripture to advocating. There is a biblical justice also affirms not only all this, special treatment for those who are vulnerable and weak and marginalized. That's what the word mishpat also entails. Such as Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. Psalm 146.9, the Lord watched over the foreigners and sustains the faith fatherless and the widow. Zechariah 7, 9, and 10, this is what the Lord Almighty say. Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do you see that how Bible speaks all different side of it refuses to play the game? And when we talk about this side, we don't tell our food pantry people when they come, hey, equal treatment for all. Here's the box of food. This is $247. We don't say that, but we give them freely because Bible calls for the ministries of mercy. And, this is, and we do Afghan family refugee. We don't tell them, okay, welcome to America, the land of freedom. Good luck, all the best. No, we, so many of you showed up on Monday night because you want to extend this ministry of mercy, caring for them in their vulnerability, in their weakness, because that's what Bible calls us to do. And this word mercy is also, in other words, that is deeply tied with the word justice. It's the, I promise, this is the last Hebrew word I'll give for today. It's the Hebrew word for hesed, which means, means God's unconditional compassion and grace. 
So if this is kind of, when we talk about ministries of mercy, we are giving ourselves, especially for the weak and marginalized, for the flourishing of them. That's what true justice is all about. The Bible also says, they've said it's the heart of God. Justice, in a sense, is that puts the heart to action. The mishpat is the one that puts action. Because our God often introduced him saying, hey, I am father to the fatherless. I am defender of widows. And God so many times identify himself for those who are weak and vulnerable. So true biblical justice said, you see, do you see it refuses to play one game? We should therefore do all equal treatment by all means, no partiality whatsoever. That's what God calls us for. Yet at the same time, you are not doing holistic justice if you do this at the expense of all the other side. Likewise, it's not just all about retribution, retribution. Yes, there should be a retribution. Um, there's a Christian advocate lawyer named Rachel Dan Hollander, who is an advocate for those who've been sexually abused and marginalized against Larry Nassar, USA gymnastic doctor who abused so many, unfortunately. One of the things that she says, one of the things that always stick with me is that, hey, Justice and forgiveness are not mutually exclusive. It goes together. True justice is that God does vindicate when in his time comes. So we should advocate for that. Yet the justice is not only retribution, but it's also restorative for those who are weak and marginalized. So do you see that biblical justice does not just play in one camp only, but it affirms at the same time confronts all of them. When we try to resolve this tension completely, that's often when we fall into heresy. This is all about it. This is all about it. This is all about it. And then there is the biblical tension that goes with a true justice because it covers it's much more complex and nuanced than often we are forced to pick the side. So I pray that we ride well in this tension, how biblical justice is all three in one sense, yet none of them at the same time. So now, having said all that, where are these political leaders of Israel at the time then? Right? We talked about laid out. Answer, none of them. Look verse 2 and 3, what happened in the times at the time. You who hate good, this is Micah speaking against the leaders of Israel. You who hate good and love evil, who tear the skin from my people, flesh from their bones. It's figures of speech describing the cruel and brutal injustices in humane ways these rulers took advantage of the weak, their own people. It was all about their own gain. It's all about their preservation, not flourishing of others. They just took advantage of all their people. And you might say, okay, sure, I don't expect much from all these leaders of Israel, but surely religious people are much better, right, Jen? Well, not quite, unfortunately. These religious leaders, are what, they are worse. Look, verse 5 and 11. Now, Micah is speaking against religious leaders at that time. What did they do? This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, they proclaim peace if they have something to eat, but prepare to wage war against anyone who refuses to feed them. Verse 11. Her leaders judge for a bribe. Her priests teach for a price. And our prophets tell fortunes for money. Yet they look for the Lord's support and say, Is not the Lord among us? No disaster will come upon us. 
one of the most loathsome aspects of religious leaders' sin is that they paint over their enablement of injustice with a veneer of spirituality. It's not the Lord among us. No disaster will fall upon us. While they say because it benefits them, they're food to it, it pays them. Verse 5, I proclaim peace, all will be well to you because it benefits me. Verse 11, her priests teach for price, demands for money. So even the religious leaders, worst thing about them is they wear the veneer of godliness. Oh, God is with us. Nothing bad will happen. Pay me. So political leaders, you can do all the wrong things. You are so right. Uh, this is depressing. Uh, that they justify their lives of lies and fleshly desire of greediness with a veneer of spirituality for their own gain. While God is calling all people to administer true justice, none of them are doing what is right, whether it be political leaders and religious leaders. Perhaps, especially for religious leaders, this is you know, personal to you, perhaps, um, if you have been, oh boy, injustice was done to you by religious leaders that whom you had great expectation, whether it be spiritual abuse, uh, with their power play, it deeply hurts us, right? We trusted you. Uh, God forbid, Shelton, that we will never just wear as church, you get to nominate your leaders. I pray that we will never become a church that wears veneer of spirituality that says, isn't God with us? Our numbers are growing. Isn't God with us? Momentums are growing. Isn't God with us? Everything's awesome. While our pride is infesting in our own, while rather than administering true justice, it's all about my own image, my own reputation, my own glory. I pray that God will humble all of us for the glory of him. Rather than wearing this veneer of spirituality, we are great, it's not the Lord among us. I pray that that will mark testimony of his church. Having said that, as I said in the first week, this book of Micah is not just about northern kingdom of Israel or southern kingdom of Judah. It's for you and me. Meaning, we live in a time, day and age, where it's all about self-promotion. So I get to promote for myself. When was the last time that you really promoted for others? When was the last time that you really advocated on others' behalf, even though it requires some sacrifice on your end? Even I said at the beginning, opening illustration about all the injustice that was done to me. We are so easy to think about all the injustice that was done to us. But it's hard for us to think about all the wrong things that we've done to others. I couldn't think of it. I'm sure I've done plenty. I'm like, if I ask my close friend, they'll be like, oh, Jin, do you remember when you took advantage of me? You're all about you. But I can remember because all I can obsess over is like, oh, yeah, that was done wrong to me. But if I truly humble myself, we have done great injustice. I'll show you how you have done great injustice as we end our sermon in a moment. But some of you, maybe it's hard to relate. You're like, Jin, I don't have this, I'm not a political leader. I don't have any power. I don't know what it means I extend injustice. Well, uh, if you're a parent, you have influence. If you're a friend, you have influence. If you have a work, you have influence. How you are marked by all self-preservation, my testimony, my reputation, rather than extending true welfare for one another, we are so obsessed over our own ego and our own image. In a sense, we are no different. As much as I want to say, wrong, I've done just about the same. 
Because if I truly humble myself, I probably can think of 40,000 examples of all the ways that I've neglected to care for one another rather than being self-obsessed about it. So in a moment, in the end of my sermon, we will go to time for communion, and we'll give you time to reflect how you can really extend the ministry of mercy and caring for one another, even though sometimes you require sacrifice. How can you influence in your sphere of influence for true justice and mercy and righteousness that God called for each one of us? I pray that we'll think about that and what that means in your sphere of influence each day what it means to care for the flourishing of your influence rather than being marked by all self-preservation. May God humble all of us so that we can truly act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. Having said all that, where is hope in all this? That's depressing, isn't it? If you want hope, come back next Sunday. We'll get to that. But there is, there is actually one verse in the entire chapter 3 that someone does what is right. Look, verse 8. This is prophet Micah speaking. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression, to Israel his sin. Micah is different from any other false religious leaders who are just giving lip service. Peace, pay me. Micah is saying, hey, if you don't repent, judgment is coming upon you. So he says in verse 9, hear this, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of Israel, who despise justice and distort what is all is right, who build Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. Therefore, verse 12, judgment is coming. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become heap of rubble, the temple, hill, a mound overgrown with a thicket. Micah proclaimed unashamedly, repent because of all your injustices you are extending. Judgment is coming before you. Where is hope in all this? Let me show you where is hope in all that. Uh, 3,000 years later, the ultimate Micah will come, who will confront the sins of nation. While these wicked rulers will build Zion with others' blood, this true Micah, our Lord Jesus Christ will build Zion with his own blood. While all the wicked rulers said, you die so that I live, Jesus said, I'll shed my own blood. I will subject myself to the greatest injustice so that you may live. Apart from our glorious hope, this can be extremely dark. However, do you see that there, while this world is filled with injustice and selfish ambition, that no one is doing right, whether it be political leaders and religious leaders, and there will be one who will come. Rather than building Zion at the expense of all of us, he will build Zion with his blood. Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of my sermon, I, Socrates, as far as I have been reading lately, this book written in 380 BC, I believe. It's the Republic by Plato, which was the disciple of Socrates. Um, and then in that book, it's basically Plato records the uh, discussion, back and forth dialogue between Socrates, his mentor, and many other pagan Greek philosophers of their time days. Now, this is 380 BC, but there's one of the main dialoguer who's dialoguing with Socrates. His name is Glaucon. He was brother of Plato, and Glaucon says, and this book is all about justice, Republic. And Glaucon says, hey, you know what? It's really not good to be just. If you want to really live well, you have to pretend to be just. 
But if you're actually really just, it will cause great harm to you, so it's not good. So during dialogue, they go back and forth and what if they're really innocent? Okay, so it's better to live just pretending, acting like just. Real just will not be good for you. Got it. Then what would happen if there's truly perfectly righteous, if there's perfectly just man ever live? What would humanity do to him? Glaucon responds by saying, they will kill him. Uh, from the lips of pagan philosopher, does that remind you of somebody? Let me read the dialogue. This is what they say. He's, I think, yeah. Though he do no wrong, he must have the repute of the greatest injustices so that he may be put to the test. But let him hold on his course unchangeable even unto death, seeming all his life to be unjust, though being just. Such being his disposition, the just man will have to endure the lash the rack, change, and finally, after every extremity of suffering, he will be crucified. I know this man. Do you know this man? Though perfectly just, he subjects himself to greatest injustice and goes to the cross. That's right, humanity couldn't handle this perfectly just man. See, so I told you at the beginning, can you think of any injustice that you have done? You have done greatest injustice to Jesus. You should have been there at the cross. I should have been there at the cross. But he subjects himself to the greatest injustice that the world has ever known. Perfectly righteous man, perfectly holy and just man, subject himself to the cross for us. And with his blood, not the blood of others, his own blood, he will build his glorious Zion one day. To the degree that you are melt by his substitutionary sacrifice for us, it will begin to change you. You will begin to abandon, that's right, it's not just all about my testimony, my reputation, my image, but my job is to treat one another equally. There's no partiality in God's eyes, and we care for one another who are poor and marginalized for the glory of God. Because when we were destitute, our Lord and Savior himself went to the cross. Greatest injustice was done so that so that we, the people of God, will act justly and love mercy and walk humbly with our God. The children, true humility, true justice will come from the gospel forgetfulness. We have everything we need in Christ. Therefore, let us love boldly and courageous, proclaiming true justice to this world who is desperate for the true biblical justice in this world. Will you close your eyes? I want to give you time for silent reflection and prayer before we dive into our time in communion today. How have you been so self-absorbed to your own needs only that you're all about self-promotion and self-preservation and fail to care for true justice and extend the ministry of mercy for those who are weak and vulnerable? I pray that you think about that and you repent. And as you pray and think about it in silence, how does the life, death, resurrection, and the second coming of Jesus Christ compel you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God in your own sphere of influence? What does like that for each one of you? Let's pray and, and silently reflect before our God. Oh God, as we come to your table, we pray.
that you cause us to repent. And it's so easy for us to think about just, oh yeah, they took us for granted. He did that, she did that to me. Wow, we are so just prone to not even think about the ways that we have treated one another, not in a way that you command us. Oh God, I pray that you cause us to repent and humble ourselves before you and remember how we have extended the greatest injustice to you at the cross. But because of your love and mercy that you poured out at the cross, we can hope today as we come to your table to celebrate that and remember that. I pray that you move us, change us. In your precious name we pray, amen.